my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 511. We're here to talk about NFL Week 5, college football week 6. I am in a parking lot. One I know well I've recorded here before. I feel bad. There's a guy in a car next to me, window down. He cannot figure out what's happening. It's a public place. Right? I can't tell him to leave. He can't tell me to leave. I'm definitely doing the weirder thing. Like this poor guy, I feel like he's having a day out of a Seinfeld episode where he's trying to have his lunch break. He rolls up, he's got his window down, and some guy just rolls up and starts recording a podcast next to him. I'm like, I, I almost guarantee when he went on his lunch break, he could not fathom that this would happen to him. <laughs> and I feel bad, but like, I, I gotta do what I gotta do. It's a... Uh, what a, I, I think that's the fun of doing the show in the truck is pointing out those hilarious moments. Uh, anyway, let's jump in. This poor guy, like he's looking at me. He doesn't know what's going on. He, you can tell he's dumbfounded. He's like, I've never seen anyone do anything like what's happening in my entire life. Anyway, in London, we got to talk about the Giants. The Giants got a massive win over the Green Bay Packers. They beat Green Bay 27 to 22. I did not expect this game to be competitive, frankly, let alone the Giants winning. I gave them no shot, even at the end of the game. You know, the Giants took a 27 to 20 lead with six minutes to go. And I was like, Aaron Rodgers has the football. He's going to drive down the field, tie the game, force overtime. That's not what happened. Uh, The Giants got a massive stop. It came down to a fourth and about a yard and a half with a minute, five seconds left. Ball on the 11-yard line. The Packers needed a touchdown to tie the game. They had to go for it. And Green Bay got stopped, man. It was a huge move and a huge moment for the New York Giants. Aaron Rodgers, two plays in a row. The ball got tipped at the line of scrimmage. And right now, the Giants are 4-1. and one. I want to say that again. The New York football Giants are 4-1. and one. What? I did not see this coming. I'm so excited. Um, clearly, their new head coach, Brian Dable, is legit, man. I, he's coach of the year so far. And Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, had his best game of the year in London. 21 for 27 passing, 217 yards. Uh, the Giants should play every game over in London. And I think it's just worth giving a shout-out to start the show to the New York Giants, man. They Five games in, they're 4-1. and one. It's a really great start to the career as a head coach for Brian Dable. Daniel Jones, his quarterback, seems to be getting more comfortable, better in the offense. Uh I look at the Giants right now. Things are looking up. They're getting better, and I'm very, very excited for the future of the New York Giants. Now, Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 38-3 on Sunday. Josh Allen had four touchdown passes. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Bills rookie receiver Khalil Shakur. Uh, He's a rookie fifth-round pick. He had three catches for 75 yards and a touchdown Kind of, I would call it a breakout game for him, where he had this crazy catch down the middle in traffic. Um, You know, Khalil Shakur was good. Gabe Davis had a massive day, three catches, 171 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, he had a a 98 or 99-yard touchdown down the sideline early on in the game. Like, Pittsburgh had a great kickoff, and and they pinned Buffalo way back, and then it didn't matter. On third and 10, they threw a long touchdown pass to Gabe Davis. That was awesome. But my favorite play of the game, of the two touchdowns by Gabe Davis, 
Josh Allen made this crazy throw over the middle, like deep, beautiful, into coverage. Gabe Davis made this crazy, sweet, one-handed catch. Gabe Davis had uh, three catches, 171 yards, two touchdowns. Again, Khalil Shakur, three catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. The Bills receiving core, as the year goes on, is getting better and better and more and more terrifying. Part of that is they got a great quarterback throwing on the ball, Josh Allen. But everyone knows Stephon Diggs is their number one receiver. He had eight catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. We know he's great. But if Gabe Davis gets you know more and more production like he had on Sunday, if a guy like Khalil Shakur, a fifth-round pick, can come out of nowhere and play like he did, Buffalo is going to be unstoppable. That's a terrifying thing to see. And Josh Allen, man, you got to give credit to him. I, I know he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. People talk about it all the time. He's gotten better and better and better, and it just really is so cool to see. It's very rare you see the intersection between a guy with a lot of potential who also works really hard and maximizes that potential, and that's what we're seeing from Josh Allen. I, You know, Tom Brady's one of the all-time, if not the all-time greatest quarterback ever, and Tom Brady is the great quarterback he is because he's maximized his potential. He's gotten the very most out of his career he possibly could. Tom Brady's not the most talented quarterback we've ever seen. Not the best arm. Can't run around. Josh Allen does stuff Tom Brady can't do. And similar to Tom Brady, he's maximizing his potential. That's such a rare combination. And man, is it exciting to see. Uh, Buffalo dominated. They won, you know, 38-3 to makes it sound way worse than I think, honestly, what happened was. Um... It's not like Pittsburgh wasn't competing. People are coming down hard on the Steelers right now. They've lost four in a row. Pittsburgh was moving the ball against Buffalo. They missed two field goals. Uh, you know, the game was in Buffalo. That's a really hard place to kick field goals, by the way. And the Steelers had three long drives that ended uh, with a turnover on downs. And I, I find the next two questions to be very, very interesting. Question number one is this. Is this going to be Pittsburgh head coach Mike Tomlin's first ever losing season? He's in year 16 as an NFL head coach. Pittsburgh is 1-4. and four. They've lost four in a row. And people are saying things that are, frankly, kind of insane to me. They're like, you know, he's washed. He's a terrible head coach. He can't win without Big Ben. So, well, no. Uh, hey, I'll tell you this. When you don't have a superstar quarterback, it's harder to win in the NFL. Duh! I mean, like, Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, not the same. Uh, I'm sure games where Drew Brees didn't play, Sean Payton didn't win as many games in New Orleans. It's not a crazy thought that when Big Ben didn't play during Mike Tomlin's career, they didn't win as often. Yeah, because you're losing a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, man, the Pittsburgh Steelers this year dealt with injuries. Uh, I think, all things considered, they're still... Very competitive. They're trying to replace their Hall of Fame quarterback. Their best player, TJ Watt, has been injured most of the year. People got to relax in Pittsburgh, man. Um, I, Pittsburgh fans, I understand they are not used to losing games. It's weird for them. It's uncomfortable. I get it. But Pittsburgh Steelers fans have to chill out. It's all good. Your team is competitive. They're fighting hard. This was a bad, ugly loss. Absolutely. It shows where you are. You're a long ways off from Buffalo, who's probably going to win the Super Bowl this year. You got a rookie quarterback who's learning, making his first ever NFL start. You've, again, missing TJ Watt, 
But the defense made plays. Levi Wallace had a crazy good interception in the end zone. Like, you can't forget the good moments. There were moments where this game was hanging in the balance. It was 10-3 for a while. I... The game wasn't quite the blowout people are making it out to be, in my opinion. Yeah, Buffalo dominated, especially at the end. But it's circumstantial. And I saw something insane to me. I forget who who said it today. I saw a headline. Someone, I believe Ryan Clark, someone who used to, I think, play for Pittsburgh or something. Someone accused the Steelers of giving up. What? You know, if you're going for it on fourth down, you're not giving up. They didn't punt it away. They were trying to win. They were trying to get back in the game. They lost. It happens. How dare you accuse NFL coaches and players of giving up? That's that's horse manure. We'll say it nicely. That's ridiculous. Come on. You can't take a cheap shot like that. That's not cool. I'm not a Steelers fan. I don't care either way. But those guys weren't, they didn't give up. They were trying to win, trying to get back in the game. You lost 38-3. to You got to learn how to handle that a little better. Pittsburgh collectively freaked out. They're all angry. It's like, no, no, no. That happens sometimes. You lose a game. But context matters. You lost your Hall of Fame quarterback, Big Ben. You're trying to reset. You got a rookie quarterback making his first ever NFL start. TJ Watt's not playing. It's, I don't think the sky is falling in Pittsburgh. People got to relax. It's going to be okay. That leads me to question number two. I think this is a great topic of conversation today. Is Steelers rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett going to be all right? Because he made his first ever NFL head start. They lost 38-3. That's a bad look optically. When you start your first ever game, you get dominated. Uh, In his first game, last week when he played for the first time in the second half, if you just read the stat line and didn't watch the game, And you go, oh, he had three interceptions and no touchdowns. That sounds way worse than it was. Two of them weren't his fault. And so far this year, Kenny Pickett has four interceptions and zero touchdown passes. Again, I understand how that looks from the outside. If you're not watching games, you're not engaged with Pittsburgh. But I've been watching Kenny Pickett play. Is Kenny Pickett going to be okay? Yeah, absolutely yes. Kenny Pickett is going to be okay. In fact, he was a massive upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. Can you imagine how bad that Buffalo Bills game would have been if Trubisky played? Kenny Pickett is a young guy. He's a rookie quarterback. Two of his four interceptions were not his fault. And the Steelers moved the ball against Buffalo. They had four long drives in the second half. Eight plays, 55 yards, turnover on downs. Ten plays, 53 yards, missed field goal. 10 plays, 45 yards, ended on 4th and 10 on the Bills' 30-yard line. Again, they had a 12-play drive, 54 yards, another turnover on downs. It's not like there wasn't any success happening on offense for Pittsburgh. They're moving the ball. They got a young guy learning. They missed two field goals in Buffalo. Shocker. The hardest place probably to kick in the NFL. Kenny Pickett was 34 for 52 passing, had 327 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. And I really believe... Kenny Pickett's not making these catastrophic, horrible mistakes. It's little stuff like picking the wrong side on a double screen. It's stuff like getting the ball out a little too quickly on a flat uh, on a flat route slant concept. Kenny Pickett is making forgivable mistakes. Like, even his interception against Buffalo, it came with 15 seconds left before halftime. He missed a read. It was inconsequential. It didn't matter. He had a great throw on fourth and six that got dropped. 
Kenny Pickett is still learning the system. He's getting comfortable in Pittsburgh. He's playing for the first time in the NFL. He's running a new offense. And guess what? He's putting a lot of stuff on tape. Some of it good, some of it bad. I think the bad stuff Kenny Pickett's doing on film, he's going to watch and learn from. And by the end of the year, you're going to see a much different, much better Kenny Pickett than you're seeing right now. Give him time. Like, he's... I just don't understand. He's going to be a much better quarterback making fewer and smaller mistakes at the end of the year. The starting point for Kenny Pickett, where he has, where he's at right now, is really good. He was hanging in the pocket. He was stepping into hits as he was throwing. I've seen enough to know that Kenny Pickett was the right draft pick. It's going to work out. He's a good quarterback. I know optically, if you're not engaged, if you're looking from the outside, you're just reading stat lines and not watching football games, you're going, well, he's got four interceptions. Oh, they lost 38 to three. But you got to watch the game. Like, the guy looks okay. The Steelers just need patience all around. By the way, there was a late hit on Kenny Pickett that was not called a penalty, which really was frustrating to me. The office, here's why it was frustrating the late hit on the quarterback. I don't like it, but then the offensive lineman retaliated and defended his quarterback, and that got a penalty, but not the late hit on Kenny Pickett. That's horse manure. Again, we'll say that one more time. That That's terrible. That's ridiculous. Should have been offsetting penalties. I didn't like that at all, but I'm telling you guys, anyone worried about Kenny Pickett needs to relax. It's okay. The Steelers are not in a terrible place as a franchise, and Kenny Pickett's going to be okay. He's doing some good stuff. He's making some small mistakes. They're not catastrophic. And by the end of the year, week 17, 18, he'll be a different quarterback than he is right now. And you just got to hang in there and give Kenny Pickett time to develop and grow as a quarterback. But he's better than Trubisky was. He's going to give his receivers chances downfield. Um, he throws a really good ball. He can run around and extend plays. I like Kenny Pickett a lot. I think he's got the right temperament for the position. He handles the receivers well and manages them and their personalities. I, I'm not concerned at all about Kenny Pickett, actually. I, I feel good about it. I know the results in the first week and a half haven't been great, but it's not all about results early on. You got to give patience. And when you look at it with context, you go, oh, Kenny Pickett's going to be totally fine. All right. Um, the Jets just beat the Miami Dolphins 40 to 17. And Miami's first play on offense was a complete disaster. Teddy Bridgewater, their quarterback, Backup quarterback, by the way, starting this week because their starting quarterback, Tua, is out. Teddy Bridgewater got hit in the end zone. He got hurt. He had to leave the game in concussion protocol. And the play was ruled intentional grounding in the end zone. So that gave the Jets two points and a safety. And I got to be honest here. I was rooting for the Jets this week. I wanted to see the Jets win this game. So I like I, I come at you from the, with this perspective. That being said, uh. It was a terrible call. That should not have been a safety. I I would imagine Jets fans, if that call was made on Zach Wilson, Jets fans would have been furious. They got the good end of it, so they're happy. But, uh, you know, first of all, Teddy Bridgewater's arm as hit as he threw, he threw the ball. And Durham Smythe was in the area. Like, the ball landed right next to a receiver for Miami. That should not have been a safety. That was a terrible call. Horrible way to start the game for Miami. Regardless, though, Miami had to play the entire game with a rookie seventh-round pick at quarterback, Skylar Thompson, playing for the first time during the NFL regular season. And he did okay. Skylar Thompson wasn't horrible. But what we did learn, I would argue, in Miami, 
is that you can't plug just any quarterback into this offense and do well. I would have rather have seen how Teddy Bridgewater would do running this offense, but we saw Skylar Thompson. And uh, again, you can't plug just any quarterback into this system in Miami and expect to win. Tyreek Hill only had 47 yards with seven catches. Jalen Waddell had a worse day, three catches, 23 yards. I would argue that Miami really missed Tua on Sunday. They missed their starting quarterback. They would have loved to have had Tua playing on Sunday. Now, the Jets, they beat a rookie third-string quarterback starting, you know, playing for the first time ever in the NFL. They won 40-17. to That's not an impressive win. I, I understand people being skeptical of the Jets today. But when you play a rookie third-round quarterback, was, was he even, oh, sorry. When you play a rookie seventh-round quarterback playing for the first time, when you play Skylar Thompson, a guy who's a seventh-round pick, rookie quarterback, you got to dominate. And that's what they did. I think if anything, though, Jets fans should probably be asking, hey, why was a game 17 to 19 in the third quarter? Why was a game as close as it was, actually? Now, I, I love seeing the Jets win. I was rooting for them to win. I love the Jets head coach, Robert Sala. I want to see it work for him. And I would imagine, I have, I have, I have to, you know, I, I have for years tried to not be a Seattle Mariners fan. The unfortunate reality is I'm still a Mariners fan. When they win, I'm happy. When they lose, I'm disgusted and upset. You can't take the emotional connection out of your fan fandom. Like Whatever team you're emotionally connected to, you're a fan of and you can't remove it. I would imagine being a Jets fan is very similar to being a Seattle Mariners fan. Anytime the Mariners win, I'm just happy they won. I don't care how it happened. Jets fans probably are the same way. I'm sure they don't even care how they won. They're just glad they won. But I thought the way they won... Pretty good. That's awesome. My biggest takeaway from this game is that I am all in on Jets quarterback Zach Wilson. He has obvious talent, and I've seen enough good from Zach Wilson that I'm ready to commit to the guy. Let's give him some time. He's he's shown enough potential that you got to commit to him and ride it out. Because if you—I'm going to say it one more time—commit to Zach Wilson— and give this guy every opportunity you possibly can to help him succeed. And then you just stick it out through the highs and the lows, the kind of roller coaster ups and downs of watching a young quarterback play. If you do that for the next year and a half, I think what's going to happen is something really good. I believe in Zach Wilson. I've seen enough highs to know what's good. And when Jets fans ask me in the next year and a half, he's going to have a bad game at some point in the future. He'll probably throw like three interceptions against, I don't know, some crappy team and you're like, oh, they get dominated by Buffalo or something and you're going to go, well, are you still believing Zach Wilson? I'll say, yeah, because that's, you just got to be patient. People give up on quarterbacks way too quickly. I, I went on a whole rant about it for like 30 minutes, one, uh, an episode recently. At one point, the NFL gave up on Drew Brees. A Hall of Fame quarterback career almost didn't happen because the San Diego Chargers replaced him with Phillip Rivers. He got booted out of San Diego. So I am not down for teams giving up on a quarterback too early. If they're horrible, they're horrible. Enough time goes by with bad play and they're costing you games. You got to move on. But I, I would imagine we've seen, I, I personally have seen enough positive stuff out of Zach Wilson to go, just let it develop. Let it happen. So I, six months from now, when there's some bad moments and some good moments and people ask me, hey, who, who should the Jets quarterback be? Should they stick with Zach Wilson? I say, yeah, it's Zach Wilson. People say, ah, oh, but I'll say Zach Wilson. 
How about no, 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 Zach Wilson? Commit to the guy. Hang out with him. Do like commit to like lean into this. The Jets are two and zero with him as their starting quarterback. They're three and two right now. Commit to the guy, unless he's catastrophically bad, and there's just no positives for like an entire year. You step back, but you got to just let the coaches do their job and be patient. And I think the Jets have been making a lot of great moves with their roster, building their team. They've had some bad luck with the offensive line this year. That's unfortunate. But they got a lot of young talent. And this game, beating Miami 40-17, to felt like a confirmation of, yeah, they got some good young talent. They're doing okay. Let's just let it play out. I am all in on Jets' second-year quarterback, Zach Wilson. I believe in him. It's going to work. You just got to be patient. When it's bad, be patient. When it's good, be excited. But it's it's going to be up and down and up and down for a little bit. But eventually, it's going to be all good and very little bad. And even Lamar Jackson has a bad play occasionally. Like, that happens. Be patient and stay committed to Zach Wilson because the potential's there. And you got to give it time to let him reach his potential. All right. Um... The New England Patriots, the New England Patriots dominated the Detroit Lions 29 to zero during NFL Week Five. Uh, I would call this the worst moment of the year for the Detroit Lions. They are one and four. The Lions just lost to a rookie third-string quarterback making his first ever NFL start. Bailey Zappi was a fourth-round pick. He went 17 for 21 passing, 188 yards, one touchdown, and an interception. By the way. The interception Bailey Zappi threw against Detroit wasn't his fault. It was a good throw that got dropped. Nelson Aguilar, ball was in his hands. He just bobbled it. It went up in the air, got grabbed by a defender, and picked off. It's a throw that's not Bailey Zappi's fault. You get an asterisk next to that one. When you play a third-string rookie quarterback playing for the first time ever in the NFL, this is what you don't do. (laughs) We saw the Jets, they dominated their rookie third-string quarterback. They won 40-17. to That's what you're supposed to do. The Lions were playing the Patriots' third-string rookie quarterback, and they got dominated. It was embarrassing. The Jets did the right thing. When you play a rookie third-string quarterback, you're supposed to beat them by a lot. The Lions did the wrong thing. They got embarrassed and dominated by a rookie third-string quarterback. Jared Goff, again, (laughs) rookie third-string quarterback, he outplayed Jared Goff, the Lions quarterback. I have had Jared Goff's back all year. I defended him. I've tried to do the best I can to paint a picture of showing how good he's done despite all the bad stuff around him. I have no excuse for Jared Goff in this game. You can't you can't get outplayed by a rookie third-string quarterback. That's unacceptable. Patriots running back Ramondre Stevens ran for 161 yards on 25 carries. I almost wonder, could Bailey Zappi, Tom Brady, Mac Jones? Remember, once upon a time, Drew Bledsoe was a franchise quarterback in New England, and this guy came out of nowhere, Tom Brady, became their longtime franchise quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen here, but it's it's worth throwing out there. Is that possible? Could Bailey Zappi, Tom Brady, Mac Jones? Like a fun thought? I don't know. But the travesty here is that the Lions' defense couldn't stop anybody. It's just, they're totally useless. I mean, I... I don't know how you win games with the Lions' offense. With Lions' defense, excuse me. Um, Jared Goff was 19 for 35 passing the, the Lions quarterback, 229 yards, no touchdowns, two turnovers, one interception. Uh, he had a fumble that New England returned for a touchdown. It was an awful loss by Detroit, uh, but the Lions they had four drives in the second half where all four of these drives ended on fourth down 
in the Patriots' territory. And if the game had been close and not a blowout, you could have kicked field goals and taken what the defense gave you. Fourth and two, fourth and goal, fourth and one, fourth and four, all in Patriots' territory. In field goal range. And guess what? You're losing by so much you couldn't afford a field goal. That's because your defense is atrocious and awful. I, Jared Goff played a bad game. I don't, I don't like that at all. But the defense is so embarrassingly horrible in Detroit. It's not even funny. I don't, I don't, you cannot win games with a defense that can't stop anyone, especially if you can't even stop a rookie third round, a rookie third string quarterback drafted in the fourth round, making his first ever NFL start. You can't stop him. How do you expect to win a game against Aaron Rodgers, against Kirk Cousins? What? It's, it's frustrating. I, I, I just feel bad for Lions fans. The Lions are the new Cleveland Browns. I want to see them win. I like the people there. I'm rooting for them. And despite all that, they just get in their way over and over and over again. Detroit went for it six times on fourth down against New England. They were 0 for 6. I like going for it on fourth down. Be aggressive. Make the defense stop you. Fourth and two, fourth and goal, fourth and one, fourth and four. You go for it. Make the defense have to defend you. Make it hard for them. But you can't go 0 and 6 on fourth down. Horrible. Embarrassing. Shameful. What a frustrating game to watch. The Lions getting dominated by the Patriots and a rookie third-string quarterback, Bailey Zappi, who was drafted in the fourth round. All right, uh, Sunday night football was fun. Bengals at Ravens. Uh, both teams were 2-2 two and two coming in. It's a divisional matchup. Two great quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson against Joe Burrow. Game came down to the very end. I, the Ravens got the ball on the 25-yard line with a minute 58 left. They drove down the field, put together a field goal drive. Justin Tucker, the Ravens kicker, Kicked the game-winning field goal as time expired. He's he's the best kicker ever. I mean, it's it's almost uh, unarguable at this point. He was four for four kicking as long as kick was 58 yards. And here's what I want to say about Justin Tucker. It's nuts that Justin Tucker... Justin Tucker has become the best kicker in the NFL. And he's done it kicking in the AFC North. That is not in a dome. No, he's kicking in Cincinnati. Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, in November, in December, outside, in the cold, in the wind, where it's hard to kick. The lake effect is in Cleveland. Justin Tucker's unreal. You got a round of applause to Justin Tucker. You would think, hey, where did the best kicker of all time kick? Was it maybe in, I don't know, Minnesota where they play inside, plus they play Detroit once a year? Was it maybe Atlanta, where you play New Orleans? Do you play in Tampa, which is Florida, better weather? You play... No, no, no. He's not playing in a dome. He's playing in one of the worst divisions in football with the worst... Sorry. One of the divisions with the worst weather in football. I'm sorry. I don't want to try kicking field goals in Cleveland in December. In Baltimore, Maryland. In Pittsburgh. Cincinnati probably has the most mild weather of all those cities, which is crazy. And... That's the division where the greatest kicker of all time plays. It just makes Justin Tucker even more impressive, in my opinion. All right. Um, by the way, Hayden Hurst had a—he's a tight end for Cincinnati. Had a touchdown catch. Uh, he was playing against his former team. He was drafted with Lamar Jackson by the the Baltimore Ravens. He's a first-round pick in 2018. I loved watching him stretch the ball over the end zone or over the goal line for a touchdown. Good for him. 
One more thing from this game that I think is worth noting is that I I think I want to make a like a video about this and kind of to show people what's happening, but Lamar Jackson keeps missing receivers open downfield. Last week against Buffalo, he missed a couple of throws downfield. The worst one was down the right sideline. Should have been a touchdown to Mark Andrews on a double move. It was a wheel, a po- a wheel route. Out and up. He's wide open. Lamar overthrew him. This week, Lamar missed multiple throws downfield. One of them was identical to a throw Josh Allen made against Pittsburgh to Gabe Davis for a touchdown right down the middle of the field. Beautiful throw. Josh Allen could make that throw. Lamar Jackson was unable to. The worst one was on fourth and two. He had Tylen Wallace wide open down the right sideline for a touchdown, and he overthrew it. Lamar, I, I love Lamar Jackson. I, I love his style. I love who he is as a person. I root for the guy. I'm a Lamar Jackson supporter, a thousand percent. He's an amazing quarterback, but I'm also afraid that part of who Lamar is is an accuracy downfield. I don't like saying that, and I think you take the good with the bad. You, the stuff Lamar can do is amazing. He runs around better than anybody. He can extend plays. He, he's an awesome leader. He's got a chip on his shoulder. The best of Lamar Jackson is better than almost any other quarterback in the NFL. Almost any. Not quite. Not quite the best. And he wins anyway. L- Lamar is awesome. But part of who Lamar Jackson is, and I've just kind of accepted it at this point, is missed throws downfield. Inaccuracy and, and missing touchdowns. You'll have a player to a game where you're like, that one should have been a touchdown, and Lamar missed it. And it's it's been happening for years. It's still happening. It's a career year for Lamar Jackson where... Oh, sorry, it's a year where Lamar Jackson's contract is up. It's a contract year for Lamar Jackson, what I meant to say. And how he plays is directly correlated with how much money he makes. And I think he's, he's awesome, man. He's making enough money. I would pay the guy. He's, he's killing it. But you do have to acknowledge a, a, a problem he's had in his game throughout the course of his career is he'll just miss a couple throws downfield that are wide open and should be touchdowns. And he does it basically every game. Uh, and... He wins anyway. He's incredible. But Lamar does, about every game, leaves something to be desired where you're like, I wish we had that one back. That one should have been a touchdown. And it's, it's been happening for a long time now, and it's it's not going to stop because it happens every week, and we kind of slide it under the rug and go, well, but he's Lamar. He's an MVP. He's amazing. We love him. He's And we do love him. But you got to acknowledge what Lamar does not do well, which is he, every about once a game, misses someone open, and it should be a touchdown. All right, um, here's a, I, I find this exciting. I wish I wasn't excited because it's about a guy losing his job. Um, I mean, how do I, how do I, st- maybe I'll start this way. The Panthers have fired their head coach, Matt Rule. Uh, he just lost to the 49ers 37 to 15. Started the year one and four. He's only lasted two years and five games in Carolina. Year one, he had Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Last year, he had Sam Darnold. This year, Baker Mayfield, and it's over. He's already got fired five games into this year. He went 11-27 and 27 as a head coach. Um, he still has this year plus four. He signed a seven-year contract in Carolina. Like, he's two years and five games into a seven-year deal. He has four full years after this year left on his contract. I think he's going to get paid for all of them. So he's fine. Like, his family's good. He's good. I'm happy he's getting paid. I, I'm rooting for him as a human. Um, I was almost a Carolina Panthers fan. Like, there was a moment where I was so excited. I was like, I might buy a jersey. I I love their colors. South Carolina seems like a cool place to live. So I guess Charlotte, North Carolina, but I could live wherever I want and just call myself a Carolina Panthers fan. I, I was so 
excited when he got hired. You know, he turned around. In three years, he took Temple from a two-win team in college football to a 10-win team in college football. At Baylor in college, he took them from a one-win team to an 11-win team in three years. That's before your recruits have even reached their senior year. Like, that's crazy. And Matt Rule seemed like a good guy. Like, oh, man, I like him as a human being. And repeatedly, Matt Rule, during his time in Carolina, offered me hope. You know, we hired Joe Brady, the guy who helped make Joe Burrow into a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at LSU. And I'm like, awesome. This guy's going to be great for Sam Darnold. Bam, fired. He traded for Sam Darnold. I was like, let's go. It's going to be great. Sam Darnold's finally going to have support. He didn't work in New York with the Jets, but that was the Jets' fault. They were terrible. Matt Rule, Carolina, it's a better situation. Sam Darnold's going to be awesome. Didn't work. This year, Matt Rule, bad start to the year, fired. He's out of there. What do you what do you make of all this? I mean, I I, I really thought you you gave Matt Rule a seven year contract. David Tepper, the Panthers owner, said fairly recently he gave a quote: "It could take five, maybe six years to rebuild an organization capable of sustained excellence." So what changed? If it's going to take that long. David Tepper, the Panthers owner, knew what he was getting into. I bought an NFL team. I'm rebuilding it. It's going to take a while. I'm here for the long haul. I gave Matt Rule a long contract. I'm being patient. What changed? What's happened in Carolina? Why did David Tepper fire Matt Rule? Here is my theory. I believe Carolina fired Matt Rule because they have a coach they want to target. Here is my theory. I believe Carolina fired Matt Rule because they have a coach... They want a target. The sooner you fire the old guy, the sooner you can pursue the new one. You want to be the first team in the NFL that has a coaching availability so you can pursue whoever you want. You, the, guy, the team that fires their coach first gets the first opportunity. They get the first pickings at whatever coach is available. And I believe Carolina is going after former Saints head coach Sean Payton. They're like, you know what? If we want Sean Payton, we got to give him a lot of money and we got to get there first. By the way, Carolina has Baker Mayfield at quarterback. He's got a, I believe his contract is up after this year. They got to decide if they're going to keep him or not. But he has been compared to Drew Brees multiple times in pre-draft stuff when he was drafted. Even now, people say, well, his skill set reminds people of former Saints quarterback Drew Brees. And I don't know if Sean Payton would want to work with Baker Mayfield. But I'll tell you what. If Baker Mayfield gets to work with Sean Payton, that's a very exciting thought. That's a quarterback-friendly coach who made it work with Drew Brees, who is eerily similar when you watch Baker Mayfield's mechanics, his size, his frame, his ability. He looks like a mini Drew Brees. And Sean Payton turned around the New Orleans Saints from a horrible franchise that was part of uh, a, you know, the city got destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. The city's in shambles. The franchise was terrible. Drew Brees' career was basically over. He hurt his shoulder. The Chargers didn't want him. They replaced him with Phillip Rivers. I mean, Drew Brees' career almost didn't happen. Sean Payton resurrected Drew Brees' career. He turned around the Saints. And I believe a similar thing could happen here with the Carolina Panthers and maybe Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield aside, Sean Payton is a great NFL head coach and any team would be lucky to have him. Sean Payton to Carolina makes a lot of sense. And I think that is why... 
they made a move to fire their coach early. They are the first team without an NFL head coach. It means they are the first team that will be able to pursue Sean Payton. They're going to go make a move. They're going to go try to hire him. I think that is why five weeks into the year after a bad start, David Tepper fired Matt Rule. I think it had less to do with Matt Rule. Matt Rule wasn't doing great. He was failing. But David Tepper, the owner, appeared to be patient. He's like, look, we're going to take our time. It's going to take a while. No hurry. It's going to take five or six years. Why did that attitude change? It's because they suddenly had a better idea. They're like, wait a minute. You know, Sean Payton is out there. I, I know, I know you've been committed to Matt Rule. But are you sure you don't want to pursue Sean Payton? He beat you for years. He played against Carolina a lot. I think that is what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to say yes to the job. But I believe the Carolina Panthers, the reason why they fired their coach now is so, so they could be the first team to pursue and try to hire Sean Payton and make him their next head coach in Carolina. All right, um, let's talk about college football week six. It was an awesome, awesome weekend of college football. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the game I was most excited about going into the weekend was TCU at Kansas. So let's start there. It was two top 25 teams. Kansas was 5-0 going in. It's the first time they've been ranked since 2009. And, man, I, I just really, I, frankly, I wanted Kansas to win. It's a cool story. And the game was only 10-3 to at halftime. And unfortunately, right before halftime, the quarterback for Kansas, Jalen Daniels, got hurt, and uh, he did not play the rest of the game. However, that did not stop the Kansas Jayhawks. Their backup quarterback, Jason Bean, came in and played really, really well. Jason Bean started a lot of games last year for Kansas uh, before eventually Jalen Daniels became the starting quarterback. Jason Bean, in only two quarters of football against TCU, because remember, he played only in the second half. Jason Bean had four touchdown passes. He was 16 for 24 passing, 262 yards, put up 28 points in the second half. TCU won the game 38 to 31. And I think an interesting conversation here is, and people I think would love to talk about this. I certainly would. Did Kansas lose because Jalen Daniels got hurt and their backup quarterback had to come in the game? You know, would they have won with Jalen Daniels? To me, that's a tough one because, I mean, look at Jason Bean put the ball on the ground a couple times. There was a, I thought he really struggled with mesh with the running backs. He looked like a backup quarterback, you know, a couple times. He had a, a speed option pitch that got put on the ground. He, he fumbled a couple times handing off the football. Um, and that's not great. There was a, he screwed up a speed option that led to a third and 21 for Kansas deep in their own territory. On that third and 21, Jason Bean threw a really bad interception that led to a TCU touchdown, gave him the ball on the 26-yard line. Jason Bean's interception gave TCU a 24-17 lead. And I would say that interception was a big turning point because after that moment, after Jason Bean's bad interception deep in their own territory, suddenly Kansas was trying to catch up the entire game. So I was disappointed Kansas didn't win this game. I wanted them to win. It was a fun story. Not because I don't like TCU, just because I think Kansas. Like, it's cool to see the little guy win. But I, I have a hard time blaming Jason Bean. You can make that argument if you want. He had a bad interception. Uh, you know, he fumbled a couple times. But in the first half with Jalen Daniels, Kansas only scored three points. Like, they weren't highly productive on offense. 
Jalen Daniels gets hurt. Jason Bean comes in, throws four touchdowns in the second half. I would argue the counter to people blaming Jason Bean is I would say, well, Jason Bean is also the only reason why Kansas was in the game. So I, I just, it's a cool game. It was a fun game. And Jason Bean, I would not put the blame on him for losing to TCU. Kansas is now 5-1. and one. TCU is 5-0. and oh, And uh, TCU receiver Tay Barber had a sweet touchdown catch up in the end zone, right corner of the end zone. Um, it was a jump ball. I love the Big 12, man. The Big 12 football in general is really fun. The game did not disappoint. TCU is 5-0 and oh right now. They play 5-0 and oh Oklahoma State next week. Uh, the game I'm really looking forward to is uh, November 12th when TCU plays at Texas. Oklahoma State, by the way, plays uh, Texas on October 22nd, right after they played TCU. So that's a tough stretch of games for uh, Oklahoma State. But, uh, man, the Big 12, a lot of fun there. I, I The Big 12 conference is like my guilty pleasure football. When I want to have fun and watch offensive football and tons of scoring, that's who I turn to. Now, we got to talk about Texas. So... Texas is a totally different football team when they have their quarterback, Quinn Ewers. He came back this week after getting hurt against Alabama. I I missed it somehow. I didn't realize he was going to come back in the game. And, dude, he is so much fun to watch. Texas completely obliterated Oklahoma. The Red River showdown wasn't much of a showdown. Texas dominated. They won 49-0. to zero. And that's why I say, like, Texas with Quinn Ewers is a totally different team to watch. They are more successful, there's more swagger, there's more confidence, everything. And it's tough for Oklahoma because their quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, was hurt. He didn't play. But Texas totally dominated, man. Quinn Ewers was 21 for 31 passing, 289 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Um, His interception, by the way, was on a ball where he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds and throw it away. It's, it's, I don't know, it's like a good idea but poor execution. The ball just didn't get all the way out of bounds. But Quinn Ewers is right there with Bryce Young, Caleb Williams, Cameron Ward as one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch in all of college football. And so Quinn Ewers, man, love the guy, super good quarterback, and definitely makes Texas worth watching. Uh, B. John Robinson, Texas running back, went off. He had 22 carries for 130 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I was disappointed in this game because Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson didn't broadcast it. Uh, ESPN had the game, not Fox. So it was Joe Tessitore and Greg McElroy. They're awesome, by the way. They did a good job. No shade on them, but something about Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. They're the best in the business, and they've done the Red River Showdown now for a couple years in a row. So I just I missed them in this spectacle. But, dude, Oklahoma only had 39 yards passing. And two interceptions. They got completely dominated. 39 yards passing. OU right now is 3-3. Three and three. It's an ugly loss. Um, and I would say this is a really rough start for the new Oklahoma head coach, head coach Brent Venables. I just, I don't know what to say about it. It's, I, I hope you appreciate what Lincoln Riley brought to the program because Brent Venables is not a terrible football coach, but things look really bad right now in Oklahoma. And a lot of it is, I mean, some recruits left with Lincoln Riley. You didn't keep, you didn't keep all the talent they had in Oklahoma, but um, it, it's not going well in Oklahoma. They're three and three, a horrible loss. Um, probably, I I would imagine. I don't know the history of the Red River Showdown. I would imagine that's one of the worst um, losses in Oklahoma program history to Texas. Like I don't think very many of those matchups have gone that far south. So 
What an ugly, ugly loss for Oklahoma. What a huge win for Texas. And I, I had a great time watching, man. I, I love Quinn Ewers, man. Texas football without Quinn Ewers, I find unwatchable. I don't care. With Quinn Ewers, oh my goodness, it's so much fun. And they're a must-watch program for me. So, like, I... That's the power of having a great quarterback. He's one of the top four most exciting quarterbacks to watch in college football for me personally. And uh, Quinn Ewers is a stud. How about number six, USC? They beat, well, number six at the time ranked. USC beat Washington State 30-14. to 14. Um, Washington State hung around in this game, though, man. You know, this game did not disappoint. Cameron Ward, the quarterback for Washington State, is a ton of fun to watch. His ability to extend plays and run around is unreal. I would call him like a mini Mahomes. And some of the best plays Cameron Ward made in this game weren't even big plays that led to yards or even completions. It was like him being Houdini, avoiding a sack and throwing the ball away. Or, I mean, the two wildest plays of the game for Cameron Ward didn't count. It was a third and seven where he like flipped it forward overhand. And that's the longest pitch I've ever seen on someone doing it like that. It was initially ruled a catch, then overturned, ruled a drop, but... Man, I, that was a sick play. And then there was a play where he avoided a sack. He runs around. He's like pulling a Houdini. He throws up all the Jenkins who drops it. Then the right guard got called for targeting, got kicked out of the game. It was All of it was unfortunate. But, man, Cameron Ward, I maintain, one of the most fun guys to watch in all of college football. And I would say Cameron Ward is even more exciting to watch than USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Both guys played well, though. Caleb Williams, Cameron Ward, zero turnovers, two touchdowns. USC is a better team. That's why they won the game. Um, USC right now is 6-0. They play Utah next week. November 19, they play UCLA, who is also 6-0. It's very possible USC and UCLA will play each other twice. The way the Pac-12 works out this year is that the two teams with the best record are going to play each other in the Pac-12 title. So I, I'm excited, man. I think that I think USC has a legitimate shot at the college football playoff. And it's also possible that a... An undefeated UCLA team, if they beat USC twice and go to the, they could go to the college football playoff too. So I, I, I think USC is a better program and better team than UCLA, but there's kind of an interesting little rivalry going on this year in LA and I, I'm all for it. Let's talk about UCLA. UCLA just beat Utah 42 to 32. Dorian Thompson Robinson, the UCLA quarterback had five touchdowns, four passing, ran for one. He was 18 for 23 passing, 299 yards, and an interception. Uh, the interception was kind of a a last minute. It was a fourth and five with 15, 30 seconds left. Sorry, 30 seconds left. Uh, he threw a pick six, made the game. It was 42 to 25. It made the game 42 to 32. The interception didn't matter. Um, and DTR had a great game. Uh, it's a huge win for UCLA. And I got to say, I'm over. I'm I'm done watching uh, Utah quarterback Cameron Rising. He's a he's a fun guy, fun personality. I, I like him. Nothing against him, but he's not that he, fun for fun personality. Not fun to watch in football games. I just like eh, he's kind of boring. He's kind of mid, um, and I don't know how much NFL potential he really has. I I put him on my list early on in the year. The more I've watched him, the less excited I've been. And when, there are guys like Quinn Ewers, Cameron Ward, Bryce, uh, you know. Um, Bryce Young, Caleb Williams running around. Like, there are so many better quarterbacks in college football than Cameron Rising, and um, I would take DTR over Cameron Rising. So I, I'm just kind of I'm kind of over the NFL hype with Cameron Rising. He had a fun moment. He played really well against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, but as I've taken a closer look, uh, I've kind of gone, eh, yeah, he's, he's fine. 
How about Alabama? Alabama beat Texas A&M 24-20. It was an ugly game. Uh, both teams started backup quarterbacks. Apparently, I, I didn't see this. I, 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 I'm a bit embarrassed to admit. Uh, I didn't realize that Texas A&M quarterback Max Johnson hurt his hand. He might be out for the year. Somehow I missed that. Uh, so technically, two backup quarterbacks were playing in this game. A&M's quarterback, Haynes King, was their starting quarterback to start the year. Then they benched him. So is that a backup? Yeah, it's a backup that's got a lot of experience, I would argue. Um, Alabama played bad and still won. Alabama, their starting quarterback, their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Bryce Young, did not play. Their backup quarterback, Jalen Milrow, wasn't great. He had three turnovers, two fumbles, and an interception. I would argue that Alabama, they, they missed two field goals, so their kicker, Will Reichard, had a bad day because in 2020, he didn't miss a single kick all year. He was 14 for 14 kicking field goals, 84 for 84 kicking extra points. Like, Will Reichard's a really good kicker who had a bad game. Uh, on top of that, so they missed two kicks against AM. Alabama had four turnovers. They had a worse backup quarterback. Jalen Milrow is worse than Haynes King was. And still, Alabama found a way to win. I think it says a lot about their program. Uh, they, they went down in the rankings this week, but I would argue, like, I don't know. They won and played bad. Doesn't that say a lot about how talented they are? I mean, I, I think Alabama's a good football team that when Bryce Young plays, they're maybe the best team in college football. Them, It's them or Georgia. Apparently, the committee doesn't agree with me. We'll talk about that uh, probably next episode, actually. Um, but Alabama ran for 288 yards. The game came down to the end. A&M had the ball, first and goal, one play left, and they couldn't score. So it was a fun, tense game to the very end. I, I do got to say, I, I think if Max Johnson was healthy and had played for A&M, they probably would have beat Alabama. So a bit disappointing there. But, you know, Alabama survived the game without Bryce Young uh, and in spite of having the worst of the two backup quarterbacks. Tennessee dominated LSU 40-13. to Tennessee receiver Brew McCoy went off. He had seven catches for 140 yards. Hendon uh, Hooker played well, the quarterback in Tennessee. Tennessee had over 500 yards of total offense. They're 5-0. They play Alabama next week. I'm excited for that. I think that's going to be an interesting game. Uh, a standout detail for LSU is that they just do not run the football well. Their, their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, excuse me, I believe no relation to Jalen Daniels. Jalen, Jaden, why their names are so similar? I don't know. Uh, can't, it's like we're in a bunch of... It's, it feels... You know how... You know, to be totally honest, I see all these guys with the same last names playing quarterback in college football in the NFL. Casey Thompson, Skylar Thompson, Jalen Daniels, Jaden Daniels. I'm like... It feels like we're in like a Madden simulated mode where like you, you sim the franchise like 20 years ahead and then all the names are kind of weird and similar. That's how it feels. Anyway... Quarterback for LSU, Jaden Daniels, is the leading rusher for LSU. And without him, they would have a single person in the running game that would have over 200 yards. Like, there's not a single running back for LSU with over 200 yards rushing for the season. They're six games in. LSU does not run the football very well. And uh, as a program, they're floundering. Like, I'm not that impressed with Brian Kelly's start to the LSU uh, adventure of his career. He got paid a lot of money, but they're not winning or playing that impressively. Mississippi State dominated Arkansas 40-17. to um, Arkansas had a backup quarterback playing. He threw two interceptions. It's unclear, but it seems like Arkansas quarterback K.J. Jefferson didn't play because he was recovering from a concussion. I don't know much more to say. It was disappointing that K.J. Jefferson couldn't go. I, I thought that the game was kind of a stinker without him. 
Good win for Mississippi State, but I, I was expecting and hoping a good game, and we didn't get that. It's another game with an injury that was kind of frustrating. South Carolina beat Kentucky 24-14, to and the huge surprise was that apparently Kentucky quarterback Will Levis got hurt. No one knew that. They didn't advertise that. Even the broadcasters were caught off guard. Kentucky kept Will Levis's injury quiet. He had a boot on his left foot. Uh, without him, they couldn't win. South Carolina, they won. They won 24 to 14. Big win for them. They're now four and two. Got handed kind of a gift to play a game against Kentucky without their star quarterback. Um, and I, I was upset because I wanted to see Will Levis play, and we didn't get that. Uh, you know, Kaya Sharon was making his first ever college start at quarterback for Kentucky. Kentucky fumbled on the very first play of the game. Uh, that gave South Carolina first and goal, handed them a 7-0 lead. I mean, it wasn't a good game at all for Kentucky. Now, despite winning, I found South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler unimpressive. He wasn't amazing. He was 14 for 19 passing, 177 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The interception was kind of a bad read. He threw up a jump ball to Stogner, and it got picked off. Um, South Carolina didn't ask... Spencer Rattler to do very much because they ran the ball very well. But Spencer Rattler had two turnovers. He had a fumble. He had an interception. Um, he's had just a very unimpressive year. That's the word, unimpressive. He's got six touchdowns and 10 turnovers this year. Five touchdown passes and a touchdown run. Eight interceptions and two fumbles lost. Um, South Carolina's 4-2. and two. That's surprising given how bad he's playing, actually. And he's growing and learning their system. But Spencer Rattler doesn't look like a future NFL quarterback right now. He's very talented. And he's only a junior, so he can come back and will hopefully come back next year and play as a senior at South Carolina. But if Spencer Rattler wants to be an NFL quarterback, he's got to play much, much better than he's playing right now. All right. Um, finally, Clemson beat Boston College 31-3. to DJ Uyungle had a, another good game. I know he's 18 for 31 passing, 220 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. The interception was his fault. He was also the leading rusher for Clemson. Uh, Clemson 6-0. Here's what I want to say about Clemson. They have a couple interesting games coming up. They play at Florida State, who's 4-2. They play Syracuse, who's undefeated. They play at Notre Dame, who's down. They play South Carolina to end the year. There's a great possibility, despite a game or two, like the Syracuse game, is they're 5-0. That's interesting. There's a very good chance, though, that Clemson goes undefeated. They run the table win the ACC title and go back to the college football playoff. It feels like Clemson is back, to be totally honest. DJ is playing well enough, and I it does feel like Clemson's in, an op- in a spot where, hey, they're back. They're a good football program again, and they're going to make the college football playoff. All right. Um, I want to, you know, I, I talked about the Mariners a lot recently, so let's, let's lean into it. The Mariners won a playoff series. I got to acknowledge that. It's very exciting. They beat the Blue Jays. Um... In two games. Game one, Luis Castillo dominated pitching. In game two, the Mariners came back from down a touchdown in baseball. They were down 8-1 to one in the second half of the game, I guess. It's not really a baseball tournament, but I think fifth inning. Top of the sixth, they were down 8-1. to one. They won the game 10-9. to nine. What in the world? Love it. Love to see that. I'm just happy the Mariners won a playoff series. They play the Astros next. They're probably going to lose that series. Um... People keep saying to me, like, you know, the Mariners are going to let you down. Go and get your hopes up. The Mariners are going to disappoint you. I'm like, what could they do at this point to disappoint me? They're they're killing it. They want to play. I didn't expect the Mariners to make the playoffs ever again in my lifetime. 
let alone win a playoff series, I'm happy. It's a great year. They're killing it. I don't know, man. I uh, I got zero expectations. It gives me joy to see them winning. Childhood Zach is happy. When I was a kid, I was a Mariners fan. I watched every single game with my grandpa. And then I lost faith in their ownership. They just repeatedly made moves I didn't agree with. They traded away Adrian Beltre. They let Raul Abanez leave. They... You know, um, the the thing that broke me was the Eric Bedard trade. They got rid of Adam Jones, traded for a pitcher. Uh, they traded for a pitcher, Eric Bedard, from Baltimore and gave them Adam Jones. Adam Jones had a borderline Hall of Fame career. And and we got stuck with a pitcher who sucked. Like, I, I was so infuriated. We have Julio Rodriguez now. We should have had Adam Jones. He should have been our incredible long-time center fielder who is amazing. Um, and, you know, childhood me broke. I'm like, I, I can't support this team anymore. Well, here's the thing about being a fan. I, I, I don't have a favorite team in football, in basketball. I just, I, I, in fact, I prefer that. Having a favorite team is really hard because you're emotionally connected and I find it harder to enjoy sports when you got a favorite team. I, I'm very lucky. I don't have an affinity. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. We don't have a football team the basketball team was terrible, and I was actually I was a Seattle Sonics fan, and the Sonics went to Oklahoma, so I don't, I don't have a favorite basketball team because my favorite basketball team doesn't exist anymore. I I lived in Minnesota, and I, I moved all over as a kid, so I never really had a favorite football team. My dad was like a Vikings fan, kind of. So I, I don't know who to root for in football. Uh, my favorite basketball team is no longer a basketball team, but I was always a Seattle Mariners fan. And no matter how hard I try to remove my fandom, I could tell you till I'm blue in the face, I'm not a Mariners fan. But the reality is when they lose, it hurts. And when they win, I'm happy. And, and I think people have noticed that for years. I mean, even when I talked about the Mariners in the past, the amount of disdain in my voice is that of a fan, right? So I, I've had to accept this year. I went to a Mariners game the other day. I, my friend gave me a jersey to wear. I had a beer, sat in the beer garden, watched the game. It was fun. They won. And my heart was happy. And so I have to acknowledge I'm a Mariners fan. It's the only team I want to have as a favorite team. I don't like having a favorite team. It's actually a very painful experience most of the time. But, but, uh, I think I understand fandom a little more now. A Browns fan doesn't choose to be a Browns fan. Why, why would you? But you can't remove that emotional connection. When your team, the Cleveland Browns, win, you're happy. When they lose, it hurts. You can't turn it off. And I, I never quite understood that about being a fan until this year. I feel like I understand sports fans a little better now than I used to. Because I, no matter what I try to do, I can't remove my emotional connection to the Seattle Mariners. My grandpa watching every game for years as a child. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Mariners fan. And, and as I've been saying around the house a lot, my friends, my roommates hate it. I say goms. Go M's. But I say goms. Because go M's is kind of funny, but if you type that out, it's GOMS. So GOMS! GOMS, baby GOMS! Go M's! <laughs> go Mariners, man. They're not going to win the World Series. They're going to get dominated by the Astros, most likely. I feel like a Jets fan. I really, I feel akin to, you know, those, those fans that have, Jets fans are, a lot of my friends are Jets fans. So they're like, you know, perpetually sad and it's always horrible and they never let themselves have hope. I'm that way with the Mariners. I'll never let myself believe it's going to be good. But when it's good, I'm always I'm always caught off guard, and it is pretty dang cool. Like, well, they got Julio Rodriguez this year, and I'm like, he he's not gonna stay. He's gonna leave and go to the Yankees. No, they signed him to a massive long term contract, and I'm like, 
What? Really? He ch he chose to stay? You mean I get to watch Julio Rodriguez play for the Mariners for years? <laughs> he'll he'll still probably leave in like two years. Like there's even a part of me that will not trust it. But that's part of being a, a sports fan, I guess, is you you guard your heart like a oh man, I don't know. But I'm a Mariners fan again. I have to admit it. Uh, and uh, watching them win makes me very very happy. Um, so. I don't know. I, you, you can't turn it off. It's, it's there or it's not. And for me, it's there. All right. I'm going to end with Formula One today. Here's a warning. If you hate Formula One, sayonara. I love you. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Um, but let's talk about F1. We just had the Japan Grand Prix. It was a weird all-around race. It was wet and rainy, and there was a long rain delay. I felt bad for any fans in Japan, actually. Like, the game ended up coming to a... It came down to a clock, and, like... You you do all this logistics. You travel all the way to Japan to only have a 28 lamp race. I don't know why you can't keep racing. It's it's a it's a dumb thing. I'll never quite understand. I get you can't have people out there for 10 hours, but like when the racing finally got good, the race ended, and there's no system in place to adjust and keep the race going. So we got 28 laps of 53. Max Verstappen won. Uh, he finished like 26 seconds ahead of everyone else, and. Uh, Max won the world title in Japan in the most anticlimactic way I think you possibly could win a world title. The race ended, and uh, Charles Leclerc got a five-second penalty, so he was no longer in second. He finished in third as a result. So Max Verstappen's in like the post-game interview, kind of just standing around, and that's how he found out, hey, you won the world title. Like, what a, what a weird, anticlimactic way to find out you won. Like, okay, cool. Not fun, not exciting, but we just kind of sh poop it out to you. Here you go. Here's the information. I don't know. Anticlimactic's the word. I just go back to this. You go all the way to Japan. It's a long flight. All the logistics to get all the cars there, all these crazy moves, and you do half a race, and Max wins a world title. It's just a weird all-around weekend in Formula 1. Um, we got four races left in the F1 season. Uh, the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. You got Mexico, Mexico City, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Abu Dhabi. It's going to be fun. And there's a couple things I still care about in Formula 1 this year. Uh, in the team standings, the battle for fourth is really interesting. It's McLaren against Alpine. Uh, Alpine currently is in fourth with 143 points. McLaren has 130 points. That's a fun battle. McLaren versus Alpine. Who can win with four races left to go? Who can get fourth in Formula 1? McLaren, Alpine. I, I love that battle. Uh, it's unlikely Mercedes can catch Ferrari for second, but that's another one potentially out there. Um, in the driver's standings, the battle for second is really intense. Sergio Perez has 253 points. Right behind him is Charles Leclerc with 252 points. So the battle for fourth is very, very interesting right now in Formula 1. Uh, sorry, the battle for second, excuse me, very, very interesting in the driver's standings. And then, yes, like I said, I misspoke, but the battle for fourth is really interesting. Uh, George Russell is currently in fourth with 207 points. Fifth is Carlos Sainz with 202 points. So they're five points apart from each other. And uh, so again, the battle for second in the driver's standings and the battle for fourth in the driver's standings are fun and compelling and something you can watch for as the year comes to an end. Um, finally, though, there was a scary moment in Japan. Pierre Gasly could barely see because of all the rain uh, on the track and all the spray. And there was a recovery tractor on the track, which... 
Pierre Gasly was furious uh, because that's how F1 driver uh, Jules Bianchi died. He was a friend of Pierre Gasly. And in 2014, also in Japan, on the same track, in similar conditions, he crashed into a recovery tractor and later died in the hospital. It's it's insane that there was another similar situation. Like, I don't know how that... What an oversight by the FIA. And this moment flies in the face of the memory of Jules Bianchi. This shouldn't happen. It's ridiculous. The FIA should be criticized for it. I don't know how they let a recovery tractor on the track. Well, there's a still, dri- still a driver out there. You would think they would know by now. I don't know how you... A guy died. Like, I don't know how you don't learn from that. Uh, it's It's a shameful moment. And I think the FIA is being rightly criticized for it. But all in all, what a, what a weird, weird weekend in Japan. Like, not exciting, really. Kind of a... I was hoping maybe Sergio Perez would overtake Charles Leclerc, or there was a battle with Lewis Hamilton that turned into nothing. Like, it was just a very mundane, uninteresting race, to be totally honest, in Formula One. And, uh... Yep, Max is the world title. World title, world champion in Formula One. Max Verstappen, just out of... What a what what a anticlimactic way to decide that. Um, ugh. Anyway, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, bum bum bam, we are done.